Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed, episode number 82. I am, um, unadjective fox Kyle Gold. <laughs> and I'm Cam Hirosaki, and I don't speak German, but I can if you like. Ow! Somebody's been listening to the new Lady Gaga album. <laughs> a lot. A lot. Like a lot, lot. And uh, we are, uh, for the first time in probably a month or so, not joined by a guest on this episode. It feels so good to just have us again. <sighs> That's what she said. No, no, no. Whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. I'm abusing that now. Um, oh god I was listening to episode 79 and you said something and I am amazed that I did not say that's what she said where you're like yeah we just need to like you know just like take the time to like fit this one in here and I'm like I was waiting to hear me say it and I didn't and I was like how did I ever let that slide I think I was waiting to hear you say it too if I remember that oh yeah well no there was one there was one where you like actively sighed when I didn't say it Uh, that was a different moment I think that might have been in episode 78 I don't know which might have been the last time we didn't have a guest but anyway we are here um so what have you been up to since the last few episodes we haven't real talked about Uh, what am I up to um more Summerhill I'm like about to get over the crest of this tsunami-like wave that once I get by, I think the rest of the story will finally leave my head. It is really difficult still. It's driving me crazy. Um, I love that downhill part of novel writing, though, when you get to the part where you know everything that happens from there on out, and then you just want to get it all out. Like, you'd figure, now that this is like the third time I've written it, I would know where that part is, but no. Then, yeah, my big challenge in those parts is trying not to rush the ending and just say... Well, this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen, the end. I'm going to have the opposite problem is, how can I get the ending without cramming too much stuff into it? Hmm. But I also don't want to leave things not wrapped up enough, so I don't know. I'll I'll see what I can do. don't want to do kind of the push and daisies ending. Uh, And then these people did this, and then these people did this, and then these people did this. I'm not criticizing the right, and it was out of necessity, because they just found out they weren't going to be renewed. But yeah. And here's a resolution in the end, which kind of sucks. Well, I mean, I think that's what makes novel writing different than serialized writing when you have, like, a a format or a medium that doesn't allow for, like, complete freeform storytelling. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a risk you take. That's why, like, I always get really annoyed when people bitch about ongoing TV shows and they're like, oh, you can tell the writers didn't know where the storyline was going when they first started writing it. And it's like, you know what? When an, when an author sits down to write a novel, they don't know either most of the time. And they have the benefit of being able to go back and edit and revise and like keep their foreshadowing right and make sure their references are in place. When you're putting something on the air in real time, you don't have that luxury. And I cannot imagine being forced to write a novel without being able to go back. Because you know what? Everything I wrote would be complete shit in that case. And the fact that TV writers can get things as neat as they can like is something that people need to appreciate. Although the... the- the way that the British writers write TV shows is, I believe, they write the whole, they plan out the whole season ahead of time. I mean, American writers, I think, are under a more tight deadline, but yeah. the British writers plot out, like, a season as a story 
as I understand it, for a lot of their shows. I think to an extent. A lot of them, like, different episodes are still written by different people. Right. So, I mean. Um, yeah, I got, I've, I used to get comments about how well um, the Prisoner's release fit in between Vol and Pendant. And <laughs> um, because people are like, oh, I can't believe you wrote that first. It follows so naturally. I'm like, well, yeah, because, you know, the version that you saw was like the fifth revision of it or something. So... Yeah, there were some edits done. Yeah. Also, I was like, oh, I can't believe this fits so well. It's like, yes, this thing I wrote first and wrote everything else to revolve around fits so well. Right. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, at the book signing, Catherine Valenti was talking about doing... Sorry, Valente. No, was, it is Valenti. It's Valenti? Yes. Okay. I th- when you when you wrote Valente in the show notes, I thought you were making it as a joke. Yes. Well, I couldn't remember which one it was. I mean, I knew I said it right, but... It's Valenti. Okay. Sorry, go on. We'll go back and edit the FA thing. Any of us could do that, actually. Um, I almost just gave out our password on the air. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but one of the things that she said about writing Fairyland was that she was posting it up one chapter at a time, so she would always write like two chapters ahead, but she didn't have the luxury of going back and changing the earlier chapters to fit what she wanted to have happen next. So she had to be much more careful about plotting it out. And she said like, technically she could have, but that would have felt like lying and cheating if she had done it. Right. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. This is, that's kind of why I gave up serial writing as well. I used to do that a lot on like back in the youth star days, I would have like my story serials and sort of like, like it's just as a writing format, I don't enjoy it like at all. But it does offer some benefits. I mean, you get like one part. It's down a good way to build up a reader base, I guess. I don't know. I'm just. I don't know the way I, the way I edit now. I don't think I'd be able to bring myself to write serially anymore. I might be attempting it again. I did it with the Hell for Story, That's which true. got published. Um, I think a lot of it is. I mean, you write the serial story and just let it be out there. And then if you want to collect it and use it again for something else, then you can go back and edit early on and just say, you know, this was published serially initially, but in order for it to be a better coherent story, I've made some edits to it. Anyway, um, I finished a project recently. I've been sort of kicking around a few other little ones. And uh, what else have I been up to? Uh, we sort of announced last week that we're doing a League of Canids book. Um, Ammon Omega sort of announced on his live journal that he is doing the art for it, and he was doing art for it on a live stream. So people have kind of seen that, and that's getting out there. Um, so we'll hope to have that out in August. <laughs> Kit's making noise on his chair over there. It's all right. I know it was just the chair. Um, I don't know what else. It's just been sort of yeah. quiet. Summer's coming up. Um, you will be going to Anthrocon? I will be. And I will not. And Kate I don't not. think I'll be doing anything important there that people can see me doing, but I'll be there. <laughs> um, you could sign copies of Heat. That's true. Um, and I'll come back with lots of stories about me drinking a lot. That uh, other anthology that we're in, was that announced finally? Yes. Wait, yes. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've been talking about it so much with people involved in producing it that I don't even know what... Yeah, I don't know if they've announced it either. Fuck. Why don't I remember? I think it was. 
I kind of think so. I, I, I really, I think it was, I think I saw it mentioned on Twitter. But, um, and then the aforementioned Weasel Presents will be out in paper form in Anthrocon. And I've seen a copy. It's very pretty. Thanks to Fuzzwolf. It is very, nice and shiny. It is very shiny and pretty. Weasels would approve. They do. Um, I believe someone commented on my journal entry, all hail the first church of the sex weasel. So we'll have to hear more about that as the as somebody the year else goes mentioned on. that? Yeah. Wow. I gotta get back on that. You do. That's what she said. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um Kit has given me something else to read. The um Amazon released their list of the top twenty most well read cities in America. The list analyzed data of all book, magazine, and newspaper sales in both print and Kindle format since January 1st, 2011, on a per capita basis in cities with more than 100,000 residents. So it's not metro areas, but it's individual cities. Okay. Um, the complete list follows. Um, Kit made me guess. Oh, there's five more in the back? Oh, okay. Kit made me guess um, what cities would be on the list. So mm. I'm wondering if you can pick any of the ones. He gave me points for getting close. This is the top 10 or the top 5? 20. Top 20 in the U.S. or in the world? Uh, United States. Okay. Um, San Francisco has to be on there. Um, San Francisco is actually not. It's not? Wow. The, the one from the San Francisco area is Berkeley, California. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Berkeley's number 3. Like, New York City is not on the list. Um, Chicago is not on the list. However, like, Ann Arbor, Michigan is number four. Okay. Wow, really? Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense, actually. I actually know a lot of furries in Ann Arbor. I can bet there's a lot of Midwestern towns on there, aren't there? Um, weirdly enough, the state with the most cities in the top 20 is... um. Florida. You know, my brain kept going to Florida, too. And I'm just like, what, do we got, like, Gainesville on there or something? Gainesville is on there. Um, let's see, what else? Jacksonville? No. No. The other two are Miami and Orlando. Which is amazing, really? because if you know the University of Miami, you'd be surprised that those students read. But I, I was going to say, like, when I think of Miami, I think of Miami as, like, a shithole. <laughs> like, where, like, everyone's a drug dealer or something. Like... Oh, I'm sorry, Miami. If we have any listeners in Miami, I'm so sorry. Miami, New Zealand, and New Jersey, I'm so sorry for all the horrible things they say about you. (laughs) I just remember when the the big college football games were Miami versus Notre Dame, they used to call it the Catholics versus Convicts Bowl. Ooh. The the number one most well-read city is Cambridge. Uh, Alexandria, Virginia is number two. Uh, Alexandria is beautiful. I love Alexandria. And then uh, Alexandria is the one across the river from D.C. Right? Yeah. Um, Boulder, Colorado, Salt Lake City. Oh, uh, Boulder's basically Berkeley East. I'm skipping. <laughs> uh, I skipped over Miami because we mentioned them. Salt Lake City, Gainesville, Seattle, Arlington, Virginia. Uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. University I almost got arrested in Arlington, Virginia once. True story. Not going to tell it on the podcast. <laughs> uh, Orlando, Florida. Pittsburgh, Washington. Pittsburgh because... Yeah, I don't quite yeah, get that one. Yeah, that surprises me, I guess me too. there's not much else to do in Pittsburgh. I would have guessed Philly before Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, Philly, don't they don't read so much either. Yeah, they're a bit blue-collar, aren't they? Um, blue-collar doesn't mean stupid. I didn't say they're stupid. Just mean, I, don't, I don't picture them reading. Uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, Bellevue, Washington. 
Okay, Bellevue, I can see. Uh, Columbia, South Carolina. What? Really? Yeah. The, the Amazon lists are always kind of weird. Columbia? Uh, St. Wow. Louis, Missouri, Cincinnati, Portland, Oregon, and our good friends in Atlanta. Wow, that that's really strange. That whole list, yeah, like my brain would not have been able to put that list together if you paid me. Clearly, because I've mentioned several times that I would have lost money on this. Yeah, and I think I'm, I may be incorrect, but I'm not sure if um, many of the top ten metro areas in the United States are represented there. Like, there's no one from Los Angeles. There's none from Los Angeles or yeah, Southern California. There's nothing from Dallas. Um, Dallas. Yeah, nothing in actually nothing even the in whole, Texas. The whole DFW metroplex is, I think, one of the biggest metropolitan areas in the country too. Um, That's right. Chicago's I call it the metroplex. Not there. New York City's not there. Philadelphia's not there. Yeah. So it's just interesting that. You know where where you want a where you get a higher reader base is when you have a small concentrated population of people interested in reading, like college towns, basically. Like Tulsa, no. <laughs> well, Oklahoma is a whole other thing. Yeah. Let's see how many states we can offend on one podcast. Dude, I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and from what I've been able to gather, I don't need to worry about offending Oklahoma. Sorry, I don't want to know why that is. I don't know either. Let's read a letter. Yes, please. Um. So we got a, a letter that had a very long scene set up, which we've kind of cut for time reasons, but we did read and enjoy it. Um, so thank you, Keo Silver, for that. Uh, so we're just going to read the questions. Not to be confused with the Keo Foxtrot. There's a bunch of them. No, he's Keo, K-E-O, and not yes. K-Y-O. So not to be confused with the Keo Foxtrot or Keo V the Artist. Right. Or there's another Keo, actually, Keo Mizuki or something. But anyway... First, I would like to thank you for hammering the idea that you need to sit down and write in order to get anything done. I'm, parenthetically, my interjection. I'm amused that people think that they can get writing done without sitting down and writing. Yeah. But people do, all the time. Uh, I used to use the excuse that there was no time, but now I've found that there is an infinite amount of time to be used on writing. Um, my first question is this. May you explain further what dick power meant by gaining status when it comes to dialogue? I find making convincing dialogue that doesn't seem bland and monotonous to be the hardest part of storytelling. Uh, secondly, when I come when it comes to writing, I imagine a story, whether a short or a novel, like a string of firecrackers. You start with the fuse; it burns slowly and builds up tension before igniting the crackers. The crackers pop and flash and keep your attention until it hits the header or finale. After the finale, there's a ring and lift in your ear, and all you know is that you want to light another one. Without explaining too much, does that seem like a good way of thinking about writing? I would just like to know if I'm on the right track. And third, where are some other great places to post stories? Whether they have to be submitted and approved like a free publication or self-published in sites, it doesn't matter to me. Thank you for your time. Keo Silver. Okay. God, the status thing, we could probably do a whole episode just on that. Right. I mean, it is a really, really, like, big core concept, but to cover it in brief, I mean, actually, if you go back and listen out of that episode and hear how we're talking to each other and how we're basically jockeying for position to make ourselves look better in front of other people by putting other people down, that's a big part of it. Yeah, and a lot of it is also respect, and it, status transactions aren't always about trying to overturn status or trying to gain status. Sometimes they can be about affirming that you have a lower status, like yeah. you're trying to make somebody feel more well-disposed towards you by reaffirming that they have a higher status. See, and what Kyle is saying now is absolutely right. <laughs> it doesn't have to be as blatant as that, but... Um, and and. Status isn't necessarily defined, but you should know in each conversation that you're having 
which character looks up to the other one? Or yeah. do they feel like they're on the same level and then they're kind of jockeying to be, they're trying to make the other person respect them? Think about people who are in a romantic relationship getting into a fight the way that they will talk to each other. Yeah. That's a really good example where you're basically, like, everything you say is trying to leverage yourself above the other person, whether it's by pointing out something like good that you do or something bad that the other person has done. Either lifting yourself yeah. up or pushing them down. Yeah, which are different but related. Right. Um, firecrackers. Katy Perry I guess, approves. Um, that's more a matter of pacing your story. Yeah. I know people who start off with a bang and then kind of let the tension simmer for a while. In Medias blowjob. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Really, the main the main rule, it doesn't have to be, certainly the way you're describing it is a valid one. Um, the only rule is that you have to keep the reader's interest. Yeah. different And different stories require a different kind of pace. I think some stories where if you don't keep the action coming... If there's lulls, it's just going to be boring and the reader's going to want to get to the next part. Whereas in other kinds of stories, like especially if it's one with a lot of personal drama, if there's no time for the characters to stop and catch their breath and process things, then the reader is going to get exhausted like along with the characters. And that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, it can be used for desired effect at, at certain points, but I would advise against trying to put your reader in a negative brain space. Yeah. And if you're going to do it like the way you describe with the, a fuse on a string of firecrackers, you have to let the reader know at the beginning of the novel, I'm lighting a fuse, and there's going to be explosions later. Yeah. And don't just say, well, they'll keep reading because they started reading the book, because no, they'll put it down. Yeah. If they don't know that there's something coming later like another way i've seen a similar thing described is if you think about a roller coaster when you're going up that first hill it's very slow it's very deliberate but you know the top of that first hill is coming and you know once you hit that the rest of it is all going to just be like whoosh all the way to the end and it's like so long as you can you know promise the reader and get their buy-in that you will get them there that this ride is worth going on then you will be okay right that sounds better than saying, trust me, put these firecrackers in your pocket and I promise they'll explode all over your clothing. <laughs> um, uh, where, else do, where else do you post stories? Um, I don't know. Look up. Yeah. Fur Affinity. So I furry. mostly post them to Fur Affinity and So Furry. Um, um, fur Rag. Fur Rag, yeah. Fur Rag doesn't have a huge reader base, although the one, people who do read it tend to be slightly more predisposed to leaving feedback, but again... It's sort of six of one, a half dozen of the other. Um, there was there was another site or something that just came up. Uh, was there? Yeah. If it were 15 years ago, I would tell you Usenet, but it's 2011, <laughs> and you probably, you, you listeners out there probably don't know what Usenet is anymore, so... Um, which, which makes me there's, sad. There's, like, there's a bunch of online magazines. Is Anthrazine still publishing? I believe it is. Anthro. Sorry, it's anthrazine dot yeah. something. The, the, it is a zine called Anthro. Right. Many well, of you are probably too young to know what a zine is as well. So the website is anthrazine dot yeah. com. I think it's dot com. I think it's dot com. Um, what are some other places that take furry stories? Um, I know I keep hearing about... Fanfiction.net? Yeah, you do it under, furries like, don't original? really go there to no. read it, though. That's true. Um... 
I thought I'd seen a couple other online zines starting to spring up about that there they was, were going to take stories. There was one about like five or six years ago that started to come together, and I don't think it ever did. Oh, there was oh, there was one that I just saw recently, and I can't remember now. I can't remember now what the name of it was. Um, but try on on Furfinity, the Furry Writers Guild forums. Right, they talk a lot about places to post your work. Yeah, go. I thought you wanted to question read, read not or go. I thought you wanted to read this one. No, go ahead. That's you fine. sure? Yeah. Okay. Salutations, Cam and Kyle. Firstly, I want to say how much I've enjoyed listening to Unsheathed. Keep up the good work. Secondly, I want to let you guys know how excited RMFC is to have you and Kit as our guest, Kyle. <laughs> Hopefully, Cam will be able to attend with you guys. We hope so. Hopefully. My, my, my year is strange. I do have a couple of questions I hope you gents have time to answer. I have been pushing myself to write and have been posting some of my finished stories online. Uh, I go through quite a few grammatical and content passes in the editing process. I also have my work looked over by another set of eyes for grammar when they are available. I inevitably end up with a comment at review stating something along the lines of, I noticed a few grammatical errors that would probably benefit from a couple of once-overs or some such. So my questions are as follows. One, how do you both assure yourself, at least as much professionally possible, that your manuscripts are free of typos and grammatical errors? Is there anything more that could be done besides going through it until I can't see any errors, which I do, and then having someone else go through it for errors I miss? Can you suggest any tricks or tools that might help from uh, with the second and third grammatical correction passes? I won't lie and say that it doesn't bug me when a critique is vague and worded like I just threw first drafts up other places I post, but I take it at face value and thank them for the critique since the last thing I want to do is discourage comments and critique. This leads indirectly to my second question. Is there a polite way to ask that someone critiquing your story give more details as to what grammatical errors they found and where? Is this even proper when the critique document is intended as a final draft for readers? Thanks in advance for your input on my questions, Soren. Hi, Soren. We're very excited to be coming out there for Rocky Mountain FurCon. I was I was there last year. I had a good time. We did. We played the pyramid game. We did. Ah, oh, it was so fun. Um, I spent a lot of time in that hotel bar too. <laughs> I taught bartenders all throughout Denver how to make a sidecar. Um, you know, the only other thing you can do to be free of type. Of, well, there's two things that I can think of that you can yeah. do. Um, have one more person go through it. Yeah. Or just keep doing it and, um, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it. If you're having people proofread your stuff and errors are still getting through, perhaps get different people to proofread your stuff because apparently the people you're getting, they might be well-intentioned, but they just might not be good at it. Well, I mean, it depends on it depends on how long the stories are, but that's errors true. are going to slip through. No, and that's the thing. That's the one thing to accept. Errors are going to slip through. Yes. I mean, even professional writers... We'll tell you this. Too. Yeah, I, I have like gone over things like umpteen times, and then like I pick it up when it's been published, and as soon as I open it, like within like five seconds, bam! Typo staring me right in the face. It's like, how did I and like these six people who looked at this miss that? And it just it happens. It happens. Um, yeah, and I think it's fair to ask people what errors they found, um, because yeah, a lot of times. You also have to keep in mind that the people who are telling you that there are grammatical errors in your work, um, their idea of what is a grammatical error may be different from yours. Yeah. Uh, one big example that comes on that comes up a lot is sentence fragments. Um, yeah. I use sentence fragments for effect in mm-hmm. prose, and a lot of people say, oh, there was a grammatical error, this was a sentence fragment. But 
it's intentional. Yeah. However, a lot of people will use sentence fragments in a way that does not create any effect, that is clearly just a mistake. It's just some, yeah. So, you have to distinguish. I mean, there, there are people who are going to say, you know, every single sentence and paragraph must conform to all applicable English rules of grammar. And when you know what you're doing with... Yeah. With writing, you can bend some of those rules a little bit. Yeah, this, com- this comes back to our insistence that you need to know the rules before you can break them. Right. And I use, um, I- I'm not sure what you would call them, comma splices, maybe. I, I-, I use um, I use commas to set off things happening in quick succession, which is technically not strictly speaking grammatical and leads to something that people would call a run-on sentence probably i, I don't think i've ever noticed you using comma splices because comma splices to me stand out like you know a bright burning sun against a nighttime sky and they bug the shit out of me and if i had ever found them in your work i would have been throwing it back in your face well perhaps that's not the right word for it but i know if I you want to find comma splices i would suggest that you look at the dialogue uh as written in harry potter and the half-blood prince because that's full of comma splices. <laughs> um but i do use unorthodox uh sentence construction with commas maybe people would consider run-ons so i think it's totally fair to ask people or to say when yeah. you post a story say if you're going to claim that you found grammatical errors and stuff please list the errors yeah. and write that part of your critique separately from your critique of the rest of the world. Yeah, or like if somebody says, hey, good story, I noticed some errors, just say, hey, could you please point out what errors you found? You know, if you, if you would rather they just send you an email or send you a private note through the website so that it's not just on the page for everyone to see, I mean, that's that's not rude. Right. Um, yeah, because it helps if you, when, you, know, you actually get their response because they might be wrong. I had one person going over saying, oh, I found a bunch of typos, and they pointed out what they were, and one of them was, was the word in as much. Right. And they were like, this isn't a word. Like, you need to, like, this is in as much. I'm like, no, in as much is one word. If you took two seconds to look in a dictionary, you could have confirmed that for yourself. And and I've had people tell me that you can't say things like, he didn't want to do that anymore. You can't use anymore as two separate words. Anymore is one of those weird ones where, like, the rules behind using it are, like, not clear. Your usage panels don't really have good consensus. Yeah. Well, that might be one of the nerdiest things I've said on this show. Separate? No. It didn't involve Star Wars. (laughs) Damn it. I was going to see if we could get through a whole episode without either one of us mentioning Star Wars, and you just ruined it. Yep. Furries ruin everything. Um... But yeah, so the whole, you know, any more... That's another thing that pisses me off, but I won't get into it. Sorry. I happen to think that you can use it as two separate words in many cases, but that's a little more archaic and less colloquial than using it as a single word. Yeah, it's like a while and a while. Right. Which is a little, yeah. And all right. All right, that's one of those things. I see all right as one word in professional stuff all the time, and for some reason that rankles the shit out of me. And it's just like, like... Because I had it drilled into me all the time that all right is two words. And I'm like, how did nobody else get this memo that like I had pounded into my head repeatedly? But then like when I see it and I hear how people use it, like the whole prescriptivist versus descriptivist language part of me like gets into a fight and I'm like like I'm okay with using ain't as a word, because clearly it's a piece of our language that we use and everyone understands. I'm like 
and I'm okay with singular they, but for some reason, all right, one word just bugs me, and I don't want it to bug me, and that just makes it bug me more. What's really I feel bad it. for not feeling worse. Um, one of the one of the blogs we were reading, a writer used to be an agent, Nathan Bransford, had made some announcement where he used all right as one word, and he made a comment after that where he said, oh, of course, this brought out the all right police, and so I, I think that's one where, where it's split, but again, it just goes to underscore the point. You know, someone will tell you, oh, I found a lot of grammatical errors. You used a lot of sentence fragments. And then it turns out, they say, you used a lot of sentence fragments. And you look at the ones they're pointing to, and you're like, yeah, I did that deliberately for effect. It's not an error. But on the other hand, they might say, you know, you're using run-on sentences or comma splice or whatever. And, and then you're like, oh, I missed that because I'm not familiar with it. And then what you have to do is get familiar with it so that when you're going through your own manuscript, those appear as error yeah. to you. And I think KM and I will tell you mm -hmm. the same thing because he said the same thing about comma splices and the same thing goes for me with typos and grammatical – more more typos and word choices. But they just like jump off the page yeah. when I'm reading something, which not clearly not always because many of my books have typos in them. But when I'm, when I'm reading something, if there's a typo or if it's the wrong word, like form and from, I mistype from as form all the time. And there is not a spell checker in the world that will catch that for you, but yeah. I, it it like glows bright red on the page. So, yeah, the thing about using like not like like things like fragments and quote unquote errors for effect, it sort of makes me think of like how filmmakers nowadays will use lens flare for effect. Whereas like twenty years ago, if you were like filming something and you got lens flare, like you would get fired over that, right? <laughs> it's like. You don't know how to frame now, your shot. There's now no you're not allowed to film a nighttime scene without it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully that helps. We're going to move on. Greetings, webby paws, and bushy tail. I love the greetings people come up with. Which one am I? Your webby paws. Oh, cool. Uh, first of all, my apologies for this long overdue email, and our apologies for this long overdue reading of your long overdue email. I've been listening for quite a while now, since episode six or seven. We coolly skipped the bad ones. <laughs> but I've been somewhat stymied by my inability to come up with, in my mind, a suitably interesting and or thought-provoking question for discussion. I've hit a bit of a bump in the road, though, so I'm writing today with a more practical question. It's okay, we like practicality. And aside, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do have to credit your podcast with getting me writing again after nearly a decade-long hiatus. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Colon three. <laughs> Moving on. The short story I'm currently working on deals with a protagonist who happens to be mute. Without going into the gore details, it's post-apocalyptic setting. Uh, protagonist was a survivor that was pulled from the wreckage as a fairly young child. Because of this, she has been raised with little to no education. She can read and write well enough to scrawl simple messages in the dirt, but she does not have the benefit of any kind of sign language or any other method of communication. So far, this has proven to be fertile ground. However, I'm occasionally bumping up against issues, for lack of a better word, regarding her inability to communicate. I'm finding that my use of nonverbal communication makes it seem like the other character in the story is some kind of psychic, or has known this protagonist for quite some time when they've only just met. And that's ignoring the issues I already know I have with Showin versus Talon. We had a whole other letter about Showin versus Talon, which I don't think we picked for this episode. Anyway, I'm also concerned that her inability to communicate might make her come off as weak and or passive when she is in reality anything but. It is with this in mind that I ask, how would you go about writing a character like this? Is there something I'm missing? Are my concerns even valid? Any help is appreciated. Many thanks. Shitaro. P.S. In reference to episode 75, owls are the ninjas of the forest. I don't remember what we said about that. 
I think this was we were we talking, were talking about, about owls and eagles. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, you do never hear owls coming. All right, protagonists who can't communicate. Um. This is tricky, especially since it's your main character, because I mean, you've basically fundamentally changed the way a person interacts with the world. I mean, if you look at society, talking to people. That is what we all do. That is our main method for getting anything else done with other human beings. Mm -hmm. And so when you take that out of the equation, yeah, it causes a whole mess of problems. Um, And, you know, yeah, it is is tricky. And I think that, you know, you do need to have, you know, something in the story that addresses... You know, these two characters being able to communicate with each other. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, even with people who can't talk, they find ways to communicate. Yeah. Um, if your protagonist is unable, completely unable to communicate with anyone else in the story, then unless that's the focus of your story, like a, a Helen Keller kind of thing, yeah, um, that you're you're not going to have a good story. Uh, what I would say is figure out what your protagonist wants. Which is, you know, the core of any story, and you should do that anyway. Yeah. But figure out what she wants, and then put yourself in her place. You are surrounded by these other people, and you have to make your desires known to them somehow. And you can't do it through dialogue. You can, um, he said she could scrawl out simple messages. Yeah. Um, so you can do it through that. And it seems to me like a large part of your story is going to be how she learns to communicate, how she learns to make her desires yeah. known. And like, that's rife for potential conflict right there. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, yeah. a great I way mean, to, to write a story. And I think that, you know, I think just trying to gloss over that would be a mistake because, and clearly this is going to be an important part of like your main character. And, yeah, like, don't don't cheat on it and don't just skip over it. Which was the other thing that I was going to say is clearly it's a large her yeah. communication issues are a large part of the story because you chose to make her a mute character. Yeah. You chose to give her these communication issues and if you did not do that with the intent of exploring how she overcomes those obstacles, then you're I, I'm not sure why you would have put yeah. them into the story. And I'm wonder, I'm actually wondering what voice this story is told in whether it's first person or like if even if it's like a really like tight third person i think that you know if you are either in first person or or really close tight third person you can really bring out like the frustration in the inability to communicate and you know you know do things with that and you know feel free to have problems arise from that like you know where you know she has something very distinct in mind and, you know, because nobody like can, you know, get what she's trying to convey, you know, you, you have this, you know, external conflict that arises from something that's, you know, more internal. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I would say it's, it, it almost sounds from your letter, like you've created this obstacle and now you're trying to sort of get around it. And I think what we're telling you is don't go around it. Yeah. Go through it. Yes. Conquer it. Yes. So I hope that helps. Uh, Letter the fourth. Howdy, boys. In what I believed was Unsheathed Podcast number 71, a discussion of character naming came up. 
with Catherine versus Kath or Kathy. Uh, you reminded me of a similar discussion in a book I had read a number of years ago, uh, which is Fast Company, A Memoir of Life, Love, and Motorcycles in Italy by David M. Gross. In the example provided, uh, Italian had a number of variations of David to denote specific character attributes. So you have Davida, which is the basic David in Italian, Davidino, which is a diminutive form similar to Davy, Davidone, which is a patriarchal form uh, for which I could not think of an English equivalent. I would go with Dave Meister <laughs> <laughs> or Daverino. See, I think the I think, Davester. I think the problem is you would start with the base name as Dave, and then the yeah. the more respectful form would be David. Yeah. Uh, Davidiccio, which is sultry David, or Davidiccio, dastardly Dave, which sounds like Davidaccio. it needs to be Davidaccio, not Davidiccio, Davidaccio. Thank you. Sorry, man. I made it. Th- I made it through the whole list and I made it to the last one. I'm fucked up. That's okay. We're 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 one one one. I'm thinking like re- like re- re- Radicchio, Davidiccio, Davidaccio, Davidaccio. Uh, this book is a great read, though many of the reviewers were surprised that the second half is mostly a softcore romp through gay Italy. What was that title again? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, read the title again for our listeners. It's fast. I'm sure most of them sort of skim through the yes. title, and then you're like, wait, softcore gay Italy? Softcore gay Italy can be found in David M. Gross's Fast Company, a memoir of life, love, and motorcycles in Italy. Cool. Uh, an accessible mid-20th century English reference on the subject as it relates to Italian names seems to be uh, Augmentatives, <clears throat> Diminutives, and Pejoratives in Italian by Vincent Luciani, uh, which is in the magazine Italica, volume 20, number Sounds one. Sounds like it should be a font magazine. <laughs> <laughs> which is from uh, volume 20, number one, which is from March 1943. Wow. Uh, How is that? Is, is pejorative... Or is it pejorative? Pejorative. Okay. That's right. I always thought it was pejorative for some reason. P-E-R-J. No, it's P-E-J. Okay. I'm the linguist, uh, which is apparently online. He lists an earl, which, will we throw that in the show notes? or Sure, we could do that. Should I read it? Um, it's got numbers. If you would like. Okay, it's www.jstor.org slash stable slash 476682. Uh, he says, I haven't had the pleasure of reading this article myself, but I'm sure that if anyone is into uh, Italian and naming, that's actually a pretty, probably a pretty good resource. That sounds cool. This is from Fixus, the Aguacon guy, which for any of you people out there listening who are at further confusion, if you had Agua, you were in Fixus's room. <laughs> All right, then. Um, yeah, is not to throw a party. I'll just say that I love the way different cultures do naming. Um, I love the fact that in Russian, the last name changes from masculine or feminine. Yeah, like you have the uh, I, I'm I follow tennis, so you've got the the Russian brother and sister tennis players on the tour whose last names are Safin and Safina. Yeah, or like you know like Ivanov and Ivanova. Ivanova, yeah. right? Um, and the fact that the the they still use kind of the patronymal name and structure. Mm-hmm. Like if your father is Ivan, you would be Ivanovich. And or we were talking about uh, Icelandic names earlier today too. Yes, where like like Bjork, the musician, which I think is actually more like Bjork because of the Bjork thing. Yeah, but like her last name is is Guthmund's daughter, which is just it's basically like 
the daughter of Goodwin. Like that's it's not even like a last name. It's just a description of who she is. And um, yeah, and the the movie credits that we saw, it was like Thor's daughter, Thor's daughter, yeah, or Thor's daughter or something. The daughter of Thor, right? Which Bridesmaids was a much better movie than Thor. Not to you know bring that into it. This but late. there was no topless Chris Hemsworth in Bridesmaids. <laughs> True. True. But there was a topless Kristen Wiig, briefly. There was. For all of our listeners who want to see topless women. And topless John Hamm. That is true. Without hooks. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He looked just like him. (laughs) Sorry. (sighs) Um, So, I hope that... We get uh, we're getting a ton of letters in, so I think we're gonna have to do another lightning round sooner rather than later. But um, we certainly enjoy having the time to go into the questions in a little more depth. Yeah, um, we've got um, what what do we have coming up later this month, Kit? <laughs> oh, a confused wolf. Apparently, apparently a lot of a lot of uh, we've we've got wine and Coke Zero and more questions. Um, so. We hope you'll enjoy that. I hope you enjoyed. If you did not listen to episode 81, please cue that up and listen to it because we had a great time with it. I can't wait to go back and listen to that one myself. And um, I think that's that's about all. So write us at unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us as Unsheathed on Fur Affinity. Uh, I am Kyle on Fur Affinity. That's K-Y-E-L-L. And Kyle Gold on Live Journal, which is where I post most of my stuff, including a long article on why furries are... Why furries need the internet, which was last Friday, because it gives us free porn. And well, but why fur? What gives us free furry porn? Um, uh, so then they have a bunch of old issues of Yarf in my garage, but <laughs> I don't think that's quite the same thing. Uh, no, because it wasn't. It wasn't that kind of porn. I have classy topless pinups of Chester from 1994. Wow, which is probably older than some of our listeners. People born in 1990 can drink now. Sorry, it's been like a great puzzle weekend for me. Everything's <laughs> making me feel old. <laughs> Everything. And when KM feels I was talking, old, I was talking to Potteru, old. and Potteru's all sad because there are people who don't know who Falstaff is. Wow. The furry character or the Shakespeare character. And then uh, you were telling me you ran into somebody who was like, oh, I didn't realize Bush's father was also president. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. It was I didn't okay. realize he was president when I was born. Oh. I'm like, how did you know who the president was when you were born? Well, presumably they had other things on their mind, like crying and <laughs> and breasts. Yes, some people never grow out of that. Um. Anyway, you can find my live journal at kylegold.livejournal.com. Um. K.M. Hirosaki and all three of the social networking things that Kyle just mentioned. And uh, I actually only mentioned two, but the third one he's talking about is Twitter, where you can find oh, okay. Kyle Gold, and I you can thought, find Kit as Kit Silver. I thought you mentioned it earlier. I usually do. I usually just rattle them all off. Okay. I'm K.M. Hirosaki on everything. <laughs> and if you can't find me as K.M. Hirosaki, it means I'm not there. Exactly. Or that I'm on a different name that I don't want you to find me at. I'm either Kyle or Kyle Gold. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. You will not find me on Tapestries as K.M. Hirosaki. There are six other names you can find me under, but you won't, because I won't tell you what they are. Good night, and keep writing. Yay!